0: Hi everyone, it's Lockie Mansell, the Motorsport Geek here. Welcome to a special Bathurst 1000 preview edition of Checkered Flag Chat. We've had to wait ages for this year's great race, but it's finally here and we're all super excited. So I thought what better way to build up to it than a podcast where we go through all the essential info you need to know for race day, including, of course, who we think is going to win. There's lots to talk about, lots to analyse, so let's dive into it. The Check and Flag Chat 2021 Bathurst Preview. As is tradition, joining me for the Bathurst podcast is Shane Jones. Hi, hey, Jonesy. Good to have you on board once again. Hello, Lucky. Hello,
1: listeners. Yeah, great to be back for another year of the Bathurst 1000 and... Uh yeah a little bit later than normal usually we're in october for for a 1000 but this time it's going to be in december so looking forward to seeing how the differences are between a a 1000 in october and december and also just to see yeah how teams are shaping up heading into yeah the
0: biggest race of the year Right off the top, I also want to say a big thank you to Ryan Jones, who you would have heard has hosted a few episodes of the Check and Flag Chat podcast. He did one with Lee Holdsworth and another one with Luke Yulden. So a big thank you to Ryan for putting those ones together, not joining us tonight uh, or for this particular podcast recording due to some existing commitments. But let's get into it. You've mentioned the fact that Bathurst is the latest that it's ever been this year. But not only that, it's the biggest week that we've ever had. Six days. And apart from the supercars, you've got nine other support categories. We've got Super 2, we've got Carrera Cup, Super Utes, TCR, S5000, Touring Car Masters, Trans Am, Toyota 86 Series and Australian GT Championship or GT World Challenge Australia as it's now known. So it's going to be a massive week. I'm impressed you're able to uh,
1: reel them off uh, off the top of your head pretty much. Yeah, it's a crazy list and probably something we'll never see again given the circumstances of this year um, and just the, the way that the, the two events have combined. Um, we're meant to have the Bathurst International and the Bathurst 1000 and they've all been joined together because of COVID um, situation. So I don't think we'll ever see a program like this ever again. And it's going to be interesting to see how it impacts supercars later in the week because usually when they get get, get onto the track on Thursday, there's very limited running from other categories whereas this year we're going to have almost two days of action pretty much before the supercars get on gets on track so will we see quicker times will will the the track be more grippier than what it was previously or will it be the complete opposite where we've had too many categories different things get on the track and it might become more slippery for the supercars so We'll wait and see on all that, but it's very exciting that we're getting plenty of categories because for a lot of categories, there's been um, no running or very little running this year. So for them to have an opportunity to have a a round, uh, in some cases it's two rounds because the Porsche Carrera Cup are doing a double round this weekend or that weekend. Um, It's going to be very interesting to see how that all plays out, but it's really nice to see that we've got nine categories. They've all been... Um, given allocated times for the for the week, and we'll see how it all pans out. But I'm really looking forward to seeing how each category goes attacking the mountain this week, and um, hopefully the forecast can live up to to really good conditions during the, the week of December. But we just don't know with what's going to happen at this time of the year, especially if Sydney Motorsport Park over the last four weeks is uh, is a is a guide to go to. So it'll
0: be intri- it'll be intriguing to see how it all pans out. Having a look at the weather forecast for race week, it could do anything. I mean, we've had a lot of rain in Sydney over the last few weeks. We had some wet races at Sydney Motorsport Park. We had a race cancelled because it was just too wet. And the forecast for Bathurst is that it could do pretty much anything. I think there'll be some rain during the week as far as what we get on race day. Who knows? One comment that I will make on that is that there was some talk in the lead up to Bathurst that being the latest in the year as it is, that we could potentially see some quite hot weather, which might have an impact on how the teams play their strategies. Because if the conditions are really hot, you don't want a driver being in the car for too long. So in the past, we've seen that a lot of teams have put their lead driver in the car for a triple stint at the end of the race. If it had been really hot, they might have looked to avoid that. But as things stand at the moment, it's probably not going to be an issue because... At the moment, the forecast for race day is that we're going to have a maximum temperature of 19 degrees. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think even if it was a little bit warmer anyway, the drivers that are, are going to do the the double stint or the triple stint at the end, they're, they're professionals. They sh- they should be prepared for that kind of situation, um, regardless of whether the temperatures uh, are 19 degrees or 35 degrees. Obviously, it creates more, um, more fatigue with, with the temperature being warmer, but... I wouldn't think it'd be too much more difficult for the drivers. They already know that they're in for a really tough um, triple stint or double stint, depending on what what's going to happen. And you just don't know with what the Bathurst one thousands play out. I mean, last year we had rain at a at a, at a at a situation where some of the co-drivers had to stay in the car, and other uh, other drivers were able to quickly change and get the main game driver in. But then that that put the the co-driver back in the car later in the race. So it, it just depends on how the day pans out i mean um the forecast for from tuesday to saturday um is a possible shower and i would assume if it's 19 degrees on sunday as well there's probably a chance of a a shower or two as well so um there's going to be some rain threat during the day how that pans out how how it comes what time it comes and when you have your drivers in the car it's all going to be I guess something for the engineers and mechanics to figure out and then try and make sure that the, the co-driver can get their 54 laps done as quickly as possible. So then the main driver can be back in the car, but you just don't know with Bathurst. That's, that's, the, that's the reason
0: why we all keep on watching it every single year. You just don't know what you're going to expect when we get to that Sunday. And the lead up to Bathurst this year, it's been different to anything that we've ever had in the past. Four weekends of racing in a row, at Sydney Motorsport Park, with those events held to make up for events that we lost earlier in the year due to COVID and due to lockdowns and border closures, and in those four weekends, we had a mixture of everything. We had short races, long races, wet races, dry races, nighttime races, daytime races. We had races on hard tyres, soft tyres, mixture of both. But uh, in the end, the outcome was that Shane Van Gisbergen wrapped up the championship. Uh, establishing an unassailable points advantage over his challenges ahead of Bathurst. It almost has a bit of a, an AFL or NRL finals type feel to it, doesn't it? Where the Sydney Motorsport Park events, which were back to back to back, that was like the preliminaries. And now he get to Bathurst, which is the grand final. With Van Gisbergen already having wrapped up the championship, is it good that we can go to Bathurst with the championship already decided? And everybody can just focus on winning the race rather than having to worry about the championship. I think the position of Van Gisbergen was in, yes.
1: Um, regardless of whether he wrapped it up in the last race at Sydney Motorsport Park or he was going to be needing twenty points or thirty points to wrap it up uh, at Bathurst. I think in that situation, yes, I'm kind of glad it's over because the re- the, re- the reality is Van Gisbergen's going to wrap it up. It didn't matter where. Um, but you just don't want that lingering at the back of his head uh, heading into the 1,000. So it gives all 25 combinations um, a crack at it and, and and an opportunity to yeah to go go for broke to win the, the race. But I would argue that it wouldn't matter if Van Gisberger needed 20 points or he wrapped up the championship. He's still going to get to Bathurst and him and Tanda are still going to be all guns blazing to make sure that they can win for the second year in a row. I I don't think the championship being in the back of his mind was probably going to have too much of an impact. The reason I probably would love to see a championship decider at Bathurst is more if there was two drivers within 10, 15 points and that would be a really good way to finish a a season and a a way to end the year at at the 1,000. But we don't have that. The, The championship was pretty much over. I think it was pretty much over before we even got to Sydney Motorsport Park for the four rounds, to be really honest. Most people knew that Van Gisbergen was going to wrap it up unless he had some form of issue in multiple races, and he never did that. He he was able to be consistent enough to get all the results, and he's a deserved champion. Um, so, yeah, everyone has now a crack at Bathurst and bring it on. I, I think it's fantastic to see that, yeah, the championship's done and dusted. We've now got an opportunity to see who can be the,
0: the who can win the, the Peter Brock Trophy and, and take it home for, for the next year. And right now, we are going to go through the form guide. We'll talk a bit more about Shane Van Gisbergen and, and his season when we we'll get up to him. But what we're going to do, as is tradition in the Check and Flag Chat Bathurst Preview podcast, we're going to go through every car in the field. We're going to talk about how they've gone in the season so far. I'm going to provide a few stats on each car, and Jonesy, I believe you've actually ranked all of the cars 1 to 25, so I'll be interested to see how you've ranked each combination and see whether I agree or disagree with you, but we're going to run through them in numerical order. So we'll start off with car number two, the Morgenshaw-Andretti United team, Bryce Fullwood and Warren Luff. Bryce Fullwood, three starts, one finish, best result of 20th in 2018 with Todd Hazelwood, Warren Luff, 20 starts, 14 finishes, best result of second in both 2017 and 2018 with Scott Pye, Warren Luff. He has a knack of always seeming to find his way onto the podium. Absolutely,
1: and he was on the podium with Chas Mostert last year. Um, I'm not sure they're going to get well, he in particular is going to get back to the podium this year with Bryce. I just don't think that combination's as strong as what the Chaz and and Luff combination was from last year. It's going to be quite intriguing. You mentioned Luff's brilliant record. So there's no doubt that when he's in the car and he's battling the best co-drivers in the other cars, he's going to stack up as good as any of of them. And the reality is he can put that car from bottom to top and give forward a really good opportunity. But – forwards form over the last few weeks is not particularly at city motorsport park has not been great now it's going to be very difficult and you mentioned we've got the the city motorsport park form to go on well city motorsport park and bathurst are two completely different tracks and we've also got the form of the 1000 from uh, sorry the 500 the Bathurst, bathurst 500 from earlier this year so that's going to be interesting to see if some teams can replicate that form heading into the 1000 but Forwards form in particular at Sydney Motorsport Sydney Motorsport Park has not been um, as strong as what it was um, earlier in the season. So I'm, I'm reluctant to sit here and put them inside the top ten. I think they're just going to be outside the top ten just for purely um, the other combinations that are around them. I just don't think, particularly if Bryce gets the car with 30 laps to go, I don't think he's a match for some of the other combinations that could be in and around that mark um, at, at the final scenario. Luff might put him in a position to be really good, but can forward really deliver on that result? That's going to be the question mark. So I've got them between 11 and 15 uh, in relation to uh, their finish for for the 1000.
0: The one statistic that might work in Bryce forward's favour is that his best race result of the year actually came at the Bathurst 500 earlier in the year. In fact, it was the very first race of the season where he finished in fifth position. So, The car, the team, they do have good form at Bathurst. That might allow forward and left to finish a bit higher than where the number two car has tended to be running throughout the season. I think in relation to that, though,
1: they were... This is forward. He was advantaged by a safety car during that race, if I recall correctly. He was one of the early pitters and was able to keep his position. So... Full credit to him for getting the position, but I think the, the safety car gave him a bit of a windfall from that result because I think the next day he wasn't able to be as good as what he was um, the, the first day. So he he really got a good um, advantage from the safety car, which I think was Anton's um, DNF. That's what what triggered the, the situation and allowed forward to get that good position. But, yeah, good form at Bathurst is always good form at Bathurst. And, if you can continue that, then, yeah, hopefully him and Luf can yeah,
0: be at the pointy end come Sunday. I tend to agree with you on the 11th to 15th. I think that if everything works for them, the Laiwa Rangers of the top 10 would be achievable. But realistically, I, I do agree with you on that one. Car number three, Cool Drive Racing, Tim Slade, 11 starts, nine finishes, best result was fifth last year with Scott McLaughlin when he had the co-driver role at DJR Team Penske. He'll be joined by the team owner Tim Blanchard, who has 10 starts, 8 finishes, and a best result of 10th in 2016 with McCormley Jones. And Tim Slade burst back into a full-time drive at the start of the year when he qualified on the front row at Bathurst. But uh, since then, it's been a bit up and down. Obviously, he had the crash at Bathurst and got no points from that event Early in the year, but since then I've steadily been improving. And at Sydney Motorsport Park, he was very consistent, and he, he's worked his way back up the later board, Currently, twelfth in the championship. Absolutely, and I, I hate to probably put them into this
1: category, but if you're wanting a privateer team to cheer for and celebrate uh, for uh, during the one thousand, this is this is it. I mean, they're they're a team running on yeah very limited resources in terms of people and and the way that they've been attacking this year has been absolutely brilliant and you mentioned his Bathurst 500 form from early this year I mean it, it, there was a time where he was on track for a podium until um the unfortunate incident that he had so my question when I when I started doing notes for, for this combination was can that Bathurst form be repeated if it can there's absolutely no doubt that he could do a top five um um, performance and and put that that car in a really good position to come the end end of the race. The the question that I have is that car is obviously different to what it was early in the in the year because they had to repair the, the car and since then the the form hasn't been as good as what it was um, at the at the track during that weekend. The other question mark I have is is Tim Blanchard. Um, you mentioned his best best result is tenth. He and Bathurst just don't seem to get along really well. There, there's been years where he's had really good opportunities to take. Uh, a good position with Bathurst and either through, um, well, mainly it's not not through his fault, but there's different circumstances that's that's prevented him. Whether it's engine problems, power steering problems, you name it, um, there's just not been an opportunity for him to really grasp and get get a get a good position. Hopefully that can change this year. I've got them between six and ten. Um, I think if they can get a good run, um, Blanchard can do his job, um, hand the car back to Slade in a good position, Slade so can then push forward. The other thing as well is they've been really good at strategy this year. They've either done the undercut and overtaken a lot of drivers and and put themselves in a really good position. So strategy is going to be very, very critical at Bathurst. Um, you've got to do seven um, compulsory pit stops, a minimum of seven compulsory pit stops. Most teams should be able to do that quite comfortably anyway, but putting yourself in that good position in the last 30 laps um, Fuel is always going to be an issue. Um, you just think that if they're already nailing the strategy this year, they may be able to do the same at Bathurst. And if if they can
0: do that, I can absolutely see them inside the top 10. Should be in the top 10, 100%. Uh, not sure if they'll be a top five contender. I think they'd probably be relying on some other better driver team combinations to have some issues. Moving on to car number four, Brad Jones Racing, first of the BJR Commodores, Jack Smith. Two starts and no finishes, and he's been joined by David Wall, who received the last-minute call-up after the originally entered co-driver, Ashley Walsh, pulled out. So David Wall, nine, starts most recently in 2017, seven finishes and a best result of 13th in 2017 with Rick Kelly. One of the advantages for David Wall, though, is that he has done more Bathurst laps recently than a lot of the others because he ran a Challenge Bathurst the other way, but uh, it's been four years since he last raced a supercar. Yeah, uh, and that's going to tell.
1: I know know he's had laps at Bathurst in other cars, but nothing beats being in a supercar at Bathurst. He'll get the opportunity in in the practice sessions and and the co-driver sessions, but um, yeah, four years between drinks is is a very long time, and we've seen other drivers who have been out of the car for either one or two years come back and some have excelled and some have really struggled. So how wall plays that out will be, yeah, we will we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, I, I think the, the yeah, he was one of my concerns, um, just the fact that he hasn't been in a supercar for a very long period of time. The other, the other question is purely pace. Um The car has been in the bottom 10 consistently throughout the year. Jack hasn't finished a Bathurst 1000 yet either. So uh, there's certainly going to be a lot of things against them. Um, at the end of the day, if they can finish the race, I think last year, before they did have the DNF, just by running around and, and keeping out of trouble, they were running pretty consistently in the top 15. So if they can do a similar thing to that, um, absolutely, they could get um, a, a good result for the team. But I don't think that's going to happen. I've got them between 21 and 25. And, yeah, there's just too many factors for me um, playing against them that, that really sort of, yeah, warrants be putting them any higher I just think there's too many factors that are,
0: that are going to cost them in the end yeah they just need to stay on the lead lap for as long as they can and try and get to the finish of the race I think that's the bottom line for that car um, we'll move on to a the first of the Tickford Racing Mustangs the number five entry Jack LeBrock six starts five finishes best result of fourth in 2016 with Cameron Waters and he is being joined by Zach Best, who is the only rookie driver in the field for Bathurst this year that has had some quite impressive performances in the Super Two series. Well, he's the
1: informed driver behind Brock Feeney in the series. So, um, yeah, and when Brock Feeney's signing for for AAA, and we'll get to him a little bit later with uh, Russell Engel. But when 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 he's dro- when he's signing for arguably the best team in the in the field, and Zach's almost matching him and doing some really good performances himself. He absolutely warrants this opportunity. And he got this opportunity because Alex Premer was meant to race for Tickford this year, but couldn't get into, into the country due to COVID issues. So, um, yeah, Zach gets his opportunity and, and all the best to him. Hopefully he does really, really well. Um, we know about rookies on debut. Um, some have really excelled, Nick Perkatt. um, Others have struggled. So I'm not sh- sure where Zach's going to lie, but he's got a pretty good co-driver that should – guide him through um, the whole weekend and um, hopefully, yeah, um, Zach just does what he needs to do, just keeps the car straight, gives it back to LeBrock in one piece, and Jack can then go on and do what he needs
0: to do. Um, However, (laughs) on the subject of Jack LeBrock, though, for what was supposed to be a season where he was going to be consistently in the top ten and maybe fighting for top fives for Tickford, it hasn't really delivered, has it? No, and he started the season well at Bathurst. He, I think he finished sixth and sixth
1: in the two races. So he started like what you were, like we were all hoping, that he would finish inside the top ten in, in most of the races. But no, nah, he hasn't been able to continue that form throughout the season. He'll change teams at the end of the year and go to Matt Stone Racing. So how that works out remains to be seen. But at least he's got an op- another opportunity in Bathurst for me, their big issue is going to be if Cameron Waters and um, James Moffat do really well in the other car. If we get double stacking, um, they're going to be compromised quite severely uh, over the um, over the next over that period of time. So I just can't see them cracking the top ten. Um, there's too many factors. Particularly Zach, um, um, when he gets his opportunity in the car, he's going to be around a lot of talented drivers. So there's going to be an issue with him trying to keep pace up. So. Um, there will be times where they will fall to the back a little bit further, a little bit more, and that will that will impact them. So I've got them between 11 and 15. I think they're good enough to to be inside the top 15,
0: but I just think they're just a couple of couple of areas short of being inside the top 10. Speaking of Cameron Waters and James Moffat, let's move on to them next in car number six for Tickford Racing. Cameron Waters, eight starts, seven finishes, best results second last year with Will Davison chasing the eventual winners. Shane Van Gisbergen and Garth Tamber all the way to the chequered flag. And then James Moffat, 11 starts, nine finishes, and best results second in 2014 in that crazy race with Taz Douglas in the Nissan. Cameron Waters has definitely been the pick of the tick for drivers this season. He's had some really strong performances throughout the year, particularly up in Townsville, where we saw that he got a couple of race victories. Sydney Motorsport Park, though a bit of a struggle, but do we read too much into the form at Sydney Motorsport Park? Because Bathurst is a completely different circuit, and the Tickford cars have been very strong there in the recent past.
1: The only, the only way I read into it, or the only factor that comes into play in relation to that, is if they hit Friday morning just before qualifying, and they ha- they haven't got the setup right in that car. They're struggling, and then their mentality over the last four weeks comes into play in relation to um, just them sort of being down the dumps and not being happy with what's going on. I don't – in terms of the car itself, I think it's a completely different beast from Sydney Motorsport Park to Bathurst. And um, Cameron Waters, before the final race at Sydney Motorsport Park, he hadn't finished inside the top six or even got a podium, but he was able to get a podium. In that final race, so he his form at Sydney Motorsport Park has been terrible. Whereas if you flip it over to the one thousand, it's been far better. And look, their combination did everything right last year. Waters and Davison. The only part that cost them in the end was a stint of twenty laps from Shane Van Gisbergen in the wet to dry that gave them the lead, and they were able to hold on for the rest of the afternoon. That was literally the difference between him. Being the one thousand winner and him having to finish in second, so everything's there for him to to repeat that performance or go one better and do really well. James Moffat's a very um, very good co-driver and last year topped most of the sessions um, for for co-drivers. So his form at the one thousand and his form in the tick for cars is as good as anyone um, in in the paddock. So. He's got a really good combination, really good um, car. Um, yeah, oh, I, I can't see, I can't see them not being in the same position as last year. And I've got them um, inside the top three. I think, I think they're going to be one mm. podium finishes for this year. Uh, yeah, as long as, as long as the demons from Sydney Motorsport Park don't come back to haunt them. In the first couple of days and as soon as they get out of the truck they can get on form and be really quick as soon if they can do what they did last year and come out of the truck be really quick and be on form i think they'll easily forget what happened at Sydney motorsport park it will be all all guns blazing and they'll be um, right on track but if we get to practice for or qualifying and they haven't found the setup and they're miles behind then yeah i think you start raising some questions but i I don't think that's going to happen for these guys. I think they're going to be pretty good, and I think top three is,
0: is absolutely um, a goal and something that they really should achieve. Then coming second at Bathurst by such a small margin, as they did last year, that has to make them hungrier in that team, and Cameron Waters in particular, to get the job done. I mean, both he and James Moffat, they've had second-place finishes in the past. They're not going to be interested in coming second again. So... If they're in the lead pack in that final sprint to the line, no question that they're going to go for it. Moving on to car number seven, Kelly Grove Racing Mustang. Andre Heimgarten, seven starts for the Kiwi, four finishes, best result of ninth in 2017 with Tim Slade. Matt Campbell returning for his first Bathurst start since 2017. He's only had two starts in the 1,000. And one finish, which was fifth in 2017 with Shane Van Gisbergen. But of course, since then, he's achieved some great things overseas in Porsches and also back here in Australia when he won the Bathurst 12 hour in 2019. But as accomplished as Matt Campbell is as a co driver, it doesn't hide the facts that uh, apart from some really good wet weather performances from Heimgarten on the whole, You'd have to say it's been a pretty disappointing year performance wise for that particular team. It would be
1: a season of frustration. And I think there was an article this week from Kelly Grove Racing hinting that um, their performances, I think it was from um, Stephen Grove there, he will become the the big boss next year. Um, I think he mentioned that that they're they're nowhere in the team's championship and they need to be higher. And that's probably one of their goals for 21 into 22. Um, Yeah, this was one of the hardest combinations and we'll get to Reynolds in a little bit in a a little while as well him and Heimgartner were were probably two of the hardest for me to put into a position because it if the car is on song then absolutely they're they're every chance of doing top fives and top tens and we saw saw at Sydney Motorsport Park you just add water and those guys are quick but when it comes to the dry they're almost nowhere and they've been like that all year I mean there was one I think there was one round at Darwin. It was twenty fifth um, Heimgartner and twenty sixth Reynolds, or twenty fifth Reynolds, twenty sixth Heimgartner. and that was not long after uh, Heimgartner won in won at Town and Bend at the Bend. So, yeah, they've just they're either really good or really inconsistent. Um, so that's going to be something that they need to obviously be wary of this weekend. The other thing as well is yeah, Campbell and super in a supercar. If, if we're being um, we're not critical, if we're, if we're, if we're, if we're questioning David Wall and his lack of experience in a supercar for four years, we've got to probably do the same to Campbell. Yeah, I know Campbell's a gun driver and he's great overseas and everything else, but again, it's a supercar. You've got other drivers who've been in supercars consistently. Um, they know what's going on. You throw Campbell in that situation and put the pressure on him, how does he perform? Nine times out of 10, you probably think he performs really well, but you just don't know until you get into that situation. So, And, and the fact that, Kelly Racing and and Grove Racing, um, if you combine the two, their form at Bathurst has been not great. Um, You take away the second from Nissan a few years ago, you look at their other results, it's not been great at Bathurst. Grove Racing and Kelly Racing just haven't been able to get that situation going um, where they can push themselves up towards the top five and even the top 10. So I've actually got them fairly low. Uh, You may disagree with me on this one, but I've got them between 16 and 20 for this, this race. I just don't, (laughs) I I just, I just not confident with the car at all that they can actually deliver on a performance um, that, I mean, they should, this combination should be in the top 10, but I'm just worried and concerned that they're not going to have the package that will deliver them that mark. If it's wet, Obviously, everything changes, but if we're looking at a dry race, I just can't see them, um, yeah, being, I, I just can't see their package being
0: as competitive, competitive as others. That's harsh. I probably would have had them between, somewhere between maybe 12th and 15th. I, I think saying that they're going to come 16th or worse is pretty tough, but I, I understand the reasons that you've done that. But yeah, I think um, I, I would have probably had them a little bit higher than that just based on the fact that. Andre Heimgartner is a talented driver and he will always get the absolute most out of the car. And Mount Panorama is one of those circuits where if the car setup's not quite right, a capable driver can still drag a result out of it. Um, and so on that basis, that's why I would have had them on a little bit higher than what you have. Another team that surprisingly has struggled for a bit of Bathurst form in recent history. Brad Jones Racing, we'll get to the first of their cars now. Car number eight, Nick Percat, 10 starts, nine finishes, best result his win on debut with Garth Tander in 2011, and Dale Wood, 13 starts, 11 finishes, and a best result of fourth in 2017 with Chris Pither. Nick Percat, we know how good he is at Mount Panorama, but Brad Jones Racing, reliability in particular, has been their worst enemy at the Mount recently, and they just have not been able to get any decent results 100%.
1: And poor Jack Smith, we've already covered him, so we're actually on to the uh second uh, uh yeah, Racing Sorry, club. yeah, you're That's right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, again, this was another combination, this was really hard to put into um, yeah, a, a, a group or a slot that I th- thought they were gonna um, finishing. What I will do is before I get to where I'm where I'm thinking with with Percat and Wood. I'll run you through the last couple of years and results for BJR uh, in terms of all their drivers. So it's been retirement, 18th, retirement, retirement, 14th, 17th, 7th with Percat and Macaulay-Jones in 2018, and then 9th uh, with Slade and Heimgartner and Walsh. Uh, And then before that, again, it was DNF, 7th, DNF, 4th. Um, And that was in 2015 with uh, Fabian Coulthard and uh, Luke Jordan. So... You're right. Their form recently has been, um, yeah, really not what you what you want and not what you expect from for Brad Jones Racing, and that and that's the question that I have is is what form are we going to get from BJR um, at the mountain earlier this year in the Bathurst five hundred? Percat ran into more um, more issues and, and I think he, he was forced to retire from a race. So uh, you, that's the question mark for for me in this combination can the form of BJR stack up in this in this race weekend? If it does, I mean, we've seen it before where BJR absolutely can be in the top five, the car's quick enough to be in the top three and and deliver a result. But um, yeah, time and time again, it hasn't exactly happened the way that they want it to happen. The other thing I I, I sort of question a little bit as well is Dal Wood, um, he, he's not been in the car a lot over the last few months. We're going to have the same situation with a lot of other drivers as well. Granted, because um, through COVID, um, a lot of different categories have not raced much this year. But yeah, just whether Dale Wood can be the co-driver that that Perkout needs, because last year Percat had Tom Randall and um, he was really quick out of the blocks and did a really stellar job. So it's just going to be intriguing to see if Wood can be on that level as well. Because if he can, this combination can absolutely do really well. I have him just outside the top ten. I have him eleven to fifteen. But I mean couple of positions here, a couple of positions there that can absolutely be in the top 10, but I've actually just kept them out uh, for this year.
0: Yeah, I probably have them inside the top 10 based on what I think their pace will be like if it's dry. And you have to remember that Nick Perkett is seventh in the championship, so his overall pace throughout the season has been pretty decent. I, I think they'll either be inside the top 10 if they don't have any problems or if they do have problems, they'll be towards the lower end of the top 20 and not on the lead lap, um, multiple laps down with extended pit stops or even not finishing at all if the problems are bad enough. So it's Nick Perkant's last drive with Brad Jones Racing, so you would kind of like to see that relationship end on a high note. 100%. And
1: the reality is um percat and that team deserve a good result at the mountain i'd love nothing more than those those guys to be in the top 3 and and get a really nice podium finish to to wrap up um what's been a really good period of um time between between the two between the driver and the team but um the Bathurst 1000 sometimes that gives you that opportunity and other times it will take it away and um yeah it it, it can be yeah it can be really really great and really really poor so Hopefully for for BJR and Percat can be a really, really good end to their um, their time together. But, yeah,
0: who knows what's going to happen with the 1,000. One driver who is in great form at the moment is the driver of the number nine Erebus Motorsport Commodore, Will Brown, fresh off getting his first race victory at Sydney Motorsport Park a couple of weeks ago. Three starts at Bathurst, Will Brown, two finishes, best result of 15th in 2020 with David Reynolds. Jack Perkins is his co-driver, and Jack has 15 starts at Bathurst, 11 finishes, and a best result of third in 2019 with James Courtney. At the beginning of the year, if we were predicting where this car would finish in the Bathurst 1000, I think it's fair to say, Jonesy, that we would have predicted a far lower result than what we're probably going to predict now. Um,
1: I'm not sure. Um, Will Brown...
0: Will Brown has had a stellar rookie season. And I think just to underscore that, he's currently eighth in the championship. To find a driver who finished eighth or better in the championship in their rookie season, you have to go all the way back to Marcus Ambrose in 2001. So let's not take away any credit from Will Brown for what has been a really, really strong rookie season as a full-time driver.
1: And he's one of only a handful of rookies to win in their debut season. Um, the last two were uh, Scott McLaughlin and Chas Mostert. And, well, both of them have gone on to win a, a Bathurst 1000. And for one person um, has gone on to win multiple um, supercars titles. So you think if that's the form line, uh, Will Brown's certainly on his way to, um, to doing this a similar thing. Um, I think the thing with, with Will has been he's always had the pace but it's just the consistency, um, just getting it consistent over the period of time and, and really getting the race results um, going his way. That's been, that's been the question mark for him for, for the last um, few years as a co-driver. And then obviously as we entered into 2021 it, with him as a main driver, I mean, you look at his pedigree in the sport already, he's, he's a multiple champion in, uh, he's he's won multiple titles in multiple categories. So there's, he's a, he's a talented driver and he's certainly shown that this year in, in supercars. And you mentioned he's eight at the moment. And if, if everything goes right at Bathurst, he'll keep that position, which is a great result because at the start of the year, we just didn't know what to expect with Erebus. We knew that their cars would be quick, but whether Brody or Will could do the job in their debut year, that was the question mark. So um, they've certainly done that this year and they certainly deserve all the accolades that go with it. Um, How are they going to go at Bathurst? Well, that's going to be the. That's going to be very interesting. Um, I mean, Erebus' form at the mountain is very strong. Last year, they, their cars were in the top ten, um, particularly Anton and, and Brody. Um, and then um, their form in recent weeks has been even better, um, with Will Brown winning his first race. So you think they bring that to the mountain? You've got Jack Perkins as a co-driver. Um, all the, all the signs are there for them to do really, really well. So. Look, I can't see them winning. I can't see them being there or thereabouts in the final twenty laps to to beat some of the other um, other contenders. I think their their co-driver and driver combination and their performance overall will probably just beat them. But there, there's no doubt that they that could really surprise over the over the weekend. I've got them between six and ten, um, just to be on the safe side. But
0: yeah, the world is their oyster heading into the one thousand. <laughs> If Will Brown's in the top three or has a sniff of a win with 20 laps to go, look out. There will be fireworks. One of the 100%. Good things about Will is that he is a very exciting driver, and I think the other thing as well is the the way in which he achieves that race victory at Sydney Motorsport Park, where he had to fend off Wincuff and Van Gisbergen. That would give him a lot of confidence if he finds himself in a similar position at Bathurst. If He's racing up against experienced drivers and he has to attack or he has to defend, he's not going to be afraid to get his elbows out and take the fight up to them. So this is a combination that I'm really, really excited at watching. I think they're going to give us some entertainment value on the mountain. I think Will Brown's one of those drivers who will go hard or go home. So I'm expecting spectacular things from this car, whether it's good enough for them to win the race, I'm not quite sure, but I think that. When I think about car nine, Erebus Motorsport, I get excited. I think they're going to give us plenty of action to enjoy. Absolutely. They won't die wondering, that's for sure. Another driver who's been in crushing form, particularly in qualifying at the moment, is Anton Di Pasquale. And he's the driver of the number 11 DJR Mustang. Three starts on the mountain for Anton. Two finishes. Best result, ninth last year with Brody Kostecki. His co-driver is Tony Dalberto. 16 starts for Tony D, 10 finishes and a best result of third in 2017 with Fabian Coulthard. You would have to say that D Pasquale, based on his qualifying form, especially at Sydney Motorsport Park, would be the short priced favourite for pole position in the top 10 shootout at Bathurst on Saturday afternoon.
1: 100%. Um, he's going to be, well, he took provisional pole uh, at the Bathurst 500 earlier this year. So, uh, his pace of the mountain was already there, and he won the pole position award this year for the series. So, yeah, he will be very short when it comes to to uh, provi- to qualifying, and then obviously the top ten shootout. But there'll be a few others that will will give him a crack um, and, and give him a run for his money as as the um as the as the weekend goes on. Uh, look, the the combination's certainly going to be one to look out for, and if if um, you look at the betting. Uh, for the 1000 at the moment it's pretty much the top two contenders from a certain team in Queensland or another team in Queensland called Triple Eight Racing and then after that it's Anton and Tony Dalberto so a lot of people are are favouring them to do really well Um, there's a couple of concerns that I do have though Um, he has um, four retirements this year and a disqualification as well so out of the Out of the thirty odd races, he almost averages a DNF for every one in six. So that's not good form heading into into a one thousand, where reliability is going to be an issue as it always is. So, and they seem to, it's been a situation like that for for this year. It's whether it's a diff failure, an engine failure, or a power steering failure, or some form of failure. They've seem to run into those issues this year. So how that plays out at the one thousand is going to be very interesting. Tony D'Alberto also got some great form um, in terms of form in terms of car time uh, at Sydney Motorsport Park. But similar to a lot of the other drivers, he just hasn't had the seat time and hasn't had any tests either. He only had a test recently at Sydney Motorsport Park um, recently to, to be prepared for for the one thousand. But before that, he had nothing because um, he's in Victoria. The teams in Queensland. He couldn't get up there to to do any testing. So. Um, his time in the car is limited compared to a couple of the others um, that are going around that are going to be contenders. So how Dalberto handled that, that situation remains to be seen. But his results over the last few years have, have been fantastic, and that's one of the reasons why DJR um, keep him in the team because, yeah, he, he is one of the premier co-drivers in the um, in the field. So I've got them really high. I, I think they're top two. Um, yeah, I, I actually think that they're, they're a combination that can be yeah, there or thereabouts at the end of the one six one, maybe even one six one laps, I should say, and maybe even winning it. Um, Deeper Squali's form in the last four weeks has been, as a lot of people call it, McLaughlin-esque. And if he's driving at similar pace to what McLaughlin was, particularly in the 2019 year that McLaughlin won uh, the one thousand, then this combination is going to be right there when it comes to the um, to the final few laps. So, um, yeah, I have Deeper Pasqually and Dalberto really
0: high in this year's race i do share your concerns though with the reliability and also just a couple of little procedural issues so i remember the disqualification for deeper squalling that was because the djr team put the wrong tires on his car at one of the pit stops they accidentally put will davison one of will davison's tires ended up on his car so you you can't have procedural issues like that at Bathurst or it will derail your race very quickly. And same with the reliability issues. It's a 1000 kilometre endurance race. Yes, these days it's more like a 1000 k sprint. You still need to have a car that goes the distance. And some of those failures that you've talked about, they've been big enough to put you out of the race altogether. So that is a bit of a worry. So they'll need to make sure that they get those well and truly ironed out for race day but uh, I do agree provided the car runs reliably they've got the pace to be definitely contending for a a top two finish or even even a win they're they're definitely one of the teams that's um that that I've got on my podium that's for sure moving on to the third of the Brad Jones Racing Commodores car number 14 Brad Jones Racing and a driver who you have a bit of a soft spot spot for Shane because, like you, he started off in South Australia and currently lives in Bundaberg, and that's Todd Hazelwood, who has had four starts at the Bathurst 1000, two finishes and a best result of 12th in 2017 with Tim Blanchard. His co-driver this year is Dean Fiore, 12 starts, eight finishes and a best result of 6th, which he's achieved on two occasions, 2017 with Michael Caruso and 2020 with Scott Pye. It's been an interesting year for Todd, hasn't it? With a few struggles performance-wise earlier on in the season, Sydney Motorsport Park, his form was a bit better. It hasn't been enough for him to keep his drive at Brad Jones Racing, though, and he's off to Matt Stone Racing at the end of the season. So another driver who will be departing BJR after Bathurst. How do you see Todd and Dean going? Well, I think... Todd's form over the over the last few months has been far better than what it was at the
1: start of the year. But the, the Achilles' heel for him has been purely qualifying, and we all know with Bathurst that yes, while well, it's great to be in the top six and and to qualify as well as you can, Bathurst affords you the opportunity. If you don't really qualify as well, you can be back in the pack but still work your way to the front uh, over the day. So for me, you take away his Achilles' heel, which is qualifying. His race pace has been up there with the best this year. So on, on that form, you, you you give them half a chance of doing pretty well if they can keep themselves um, out of trouble throughout the day. It's, it's going to be the same situation as the Percat um, car. Is the BJR form good enough? Can their reliability hold up as well? I was really impressed with Dean Fiore last year as a co-driver. Um, he pretty much... Um his his stints in the middle of the race set up Scott Pipe for that top six position at the end of the race and his times were just as good as most of the co-drivers around. So um Todd probably has one of his best co-drivers that he has has had at the mountain um in terms of just helping him and getting him into a position where he can really pounce at the last 30 laps. So I'm really excited for this combination. But the problem is, I mean, there's so many good combinations. Can they leapfrog a few of them and really have a good crack at the top 10 uh, at the end of the race. I, I have them just outside the top 10 again um, between uh, 11 to 15. But yeah, if Dean can do what he did last year and put them in a really good position, say top eight, top nine with 30 laps to go and Todd's Todd's there or thereabouts, we know with his race pace that he's good enough uh, as any to do anything. Um, so yeah, whether that happens, I have my question marks about it, but they can absolutely, do really well, and I can see them putting a good performance in and and probably, for Todd, um, get close to achieving his best ever Bathurst result.
0: Yeah, again, though, I think the comments that we made before about Perkhat and Dale Wood apply equally to this car in terms of BJR and having gremlins at Bathurst and not being able to achieve particularly good results in recent years. So... Again, fingers crossed for, for Todd and for Dean that they don't have any of those sorts of issues. 100%. In the famous number 17 car this year, we've got the brothers, Will and Alex Davison. 17 starts for Will Davison, 14 finishes and two wins, 2009 with Garth Tander and 2016 with Jonathan Webb. Alex Davison, 16 starts and 16 finishes. The 100% finishing success rate continues. His best result, fourth in 2014 with Will Davison in the Erebus Mercedes AMG. Will Davison has been super consistent this season. He hasn't won any races, but he's had a number of podium finishes. He's currently third in the championship behind the two Red Bull racing team drivers of Van Gisbergen and Wincuff. even though Deeper Squally's stolen a lot of the limelight within the DJR team, Davison's still been very, very solid in the races and hasn't had the DNFs that Deeper Squally's had, which is why he is ahead of his teammate in the championship. So, And then Alex, a co-driver who, if nothing else, is going to be reliable. You know that he's going to not make any mistakes, he's going to stay out of trouble, and he's going to finish the race. Outright pace, though. Number one, do they have the outright pace of their teammates? And you would have to say the answer to that question is no. And number two, Alex Davison, yes, he's reliable. Yes, he's consistent. But is he going to be fast enough compared to some of the other co-drivers?
1: That's my question as well. I, I do love the fact that you've put the ultimate jinx on Alex Davison as well. I think you mentioned reliability and and him finishing every race about two or three times now. So um yeah if he doesn't finish i I can tell you the person that it needs to go to to blame for for all that but anyway um yeah you're right i think that's the issue with this combination um the car's going to be quick enough but can the two brothers be quick enough to beat the best of the rest and that's where i have my concerns because will hasn't won a race since 2016 coincidentally that was the Bathurst 1000 with jonathan webb so it's been a long, long time between drinks. Can it end at the 1,000? Absolutely. Um, he has all the ingredients and everything that he needs to potentially do that. Whether he can do that or not, that's the question mark. Um, when, when it comes to him matching himself up against Van Gisbergen and De Pasquale and Winkarp and even Mostard and Waters, at times he hasn't been able to keep up with their pace and be as good as them. Um, at times he has been, but... More times out of ten, he hasn't been, and I just and I just have my doubts that can he do that with twenty laps to go and hold off all those other drivers if they're behind him or if he needs to get in front of them? I just have that question mark, and that's the, one of the reasons why I don't have them in in the top five. I have them just outside of the top five. I actually had them six, so in between six and ten. So I had them just outside the top five, just purely because. I just think they're missing that one key ingredient the other five teams in front of them, five other combinations, I should say, have in front of them um, to win the
0: 1,000. Um, everything's there for him to do it. I just don't know if he's going to do it. A couple of other things as well. So Alex Davison and the co-drivers, God are the days where the co-driver can just get in the car, keep it out of trouble, do the lunchtime stint, hand it back to the lead driver at the end. Because the pace of the race is so hot these days, it's not good enough to do that anymore. If you're a co-driver, you have to be fast enough to maintain track position. And if you can gain positions during the phases of the race where all of the co-drivers are in the car, it can actually give you an advantage later on. And we saw that last year with Tanda in particular. And I'm just not sure that Alex Davison's got the, the raw speed to be able to get his elbows out to attack or defend if he needs to, right, well, you put him up against Tander or Louds. Mm, I'm, I'm not sure that he's going to be quite quick enough to match it with them. So that's one of the concerns. The other concern that I have is because the deep pasquale and Dalberho car is so quick and you would have to predict at the moment the deep pasquale is, is quite possibly going to outqualify qualify And I know that I'm, I'm probably jumping to a bit of a conclusion here, but... You know, and the same thing probably applies to the Triple Eight cars as well. When you've got a team where you've got two strong cars, if you get a safety car at an inopportune time and one of those two cars has to double stack, then that car ends up playing catch-up for the rest of the day and it can be hard to come back from that sort of setback if you lose a lot of track position. Absolutely, and
1: I know in 2019 this same team uh, did a couple of interesting things to try and avoid the double stack, uh, which we won't. Uh, absolutely go into but it is going to be an issue and it's going to be an issue for multiple teams it's not going to just be a djr or a Triple Eight issue there's going to be other teams that are that are going to be impacted by this there's only one combination that actually isn't and we'll get to them in just a second but it's going to be it's going to be fascinating how that plays out over the over the course of the of the over the course of the race in the in the afternoon but i think the thing is with all of this is it's Alex Davison, he's he's a great co-driver. It's just the problem is when you get to the higher um higher expectations and higher um positions in the in the field, you're expected to do so much more. You're expected to overtake, you're expected to work your way from, from the back to the front, you're expected to do certain times. And that's that's gonna be where the challenge will be for, for Alex Davison. Can he do it? Who knows? It's gonna be interesting to see if he can. Um, but I just yeah. I just think this combination's just a little bit behind some of the others, but that's nothing to say that they can't win the race. They can absolutely win the race, but it's just, yeah, when you compare them to some of the
0: other combinations, I think they just fall short. We'll move on to the first of the team eighteen. And for now, Mark Winterbottom. Eighteen starts for him so far. This will be his nineteenth this year. Twelve finishes. And best result: win in 2013 with Steven Richards. New co-driver for Frosty this year, it's Michael Caruso, 15 starts for Robbo, 12 finishes, best resolve of third in 2009 with Lee Holdsworth. Mark Winterbottom, he's had a solid season, he's currently ninth in the championship, had a really good run at Bathurst earlier in the year where he came fourth and fifth in the two races. But as the season's progressed, it seems like it's just made a slight downward trajectory in terms of the race results that Frosty's been achieving. Can they turn it around at Bathurst Chain, do you think?
1: I think they can. I think it's more because, obviously, Winterbottom at his age, a lot of people are going to start questioning how much time has he got in the main game and, and everything else. But I think a lot of the issues that, that Winterbottom has had this year is just purely been car pace, not... Hard, I mean, the car being in the right window, not not through Windsor Bottom. And, and then a couple of the other times they've had reliability issues as well. So, um, yeah, if they can find that, that same pace at the Bathurst 500 in the 1,000, yeah, they can do anything. They could absolutely be in the top five. Um, I think this combination is one of the strong strongest combinations in the field. You've got all the experience of Windsor He's won Bathurst already. And then you got Michael Caruso. If you remember last year, him and Lee Holdsworth were on provisional pole, and that car looked just as good as the, the Cameron Waters, James, um, um, Cameron Waters, Will Davison tick for car uh, at that point in time. They just struggled during the 1000 itself. I think set up and, and being in the window sort of cost them dearly. But there's no doubt that Michael Caruso can be in the top 10 of co drivers in this field. So This combination is really strong, and if if everything can be in the window, I've got them comfortably in the top ten. I've got them six to ten because both are talented steers, both know what they need to do, Um, both have lots of experience in the mountain, and um, if they can get that car in the right window. And we've seen with Team Eighteen at at Mount Panorama last year, Scott finished Scott Pye, his teammate finished sixth, and I think Mark Winsbottom finished seventh. So they know how to race, they know what they need to do to get the car up the front. Um, so if they do this, do a similar thing, then yeah, they can easily finish inside the top 10.
0: They should be in the top 10, but I think like you say, not sure that the car quite has the ultimate pace that's needed as a challenge for a podium or, or even a top five. Car number 19 for Team Sydney is going to be driven by Fabian Coulthard, who has 17 starts on the mountain, 12 finishes, and the best result of third in 2017 with Tony Dalberto. The team owner at Team Sydney, Jonathan Webb, joins him. 15 starts for John O. Webb, 12 finishes, and the best result for him, the win in 2016 with Will Davison. And Fabian Coulthard, who left DJR Team Penske at the end of the last year, so, joined Team Sydney, has had a rough old season. He is currently 24th and the last of the full-time drivers in the Championship. big part of the reason behind that is that he has had six DNFs, you know, which have proven to be very costly. But as we saw in the wet qualifying at Sydney Motorsport Park, when everything clicks, Fabian can still drive. The big question is, obviously, the machinery for this combination. Hundred percent. That's gonna be the be-all and end-all for this
1: for this combination. Uh Webb's won Bathurst before, he's done it before, he, you know, he's had a race uh, at the mountain and yeah, Fabian's still in in is still one of the most talented steerers in the in the field, but just doesn't have the car that can match where he needs to be uh, in terms of position. So that's gonna be purely it. Can the car be reliable enough to to survive the one hundred and sixty one laps and can the car actually have enough pace at the end to put him in, um, and we're in contention for a good result. And then I just don't think it's going to happen. I've no. got them between, I've got them between sixteen and twenty. Um, I've got them on the low, on on the on the high side of um of of that of that scenario. Just purely for the fact that, yeah, I, I just can't see the car being as quick as some of the others, and the guys being able to do anything with it to really, um, yeah. Could put in a good result. They finished top 15. I think that's a great result for the for the team. But yeah, whether they get there, that's yeah, gonna be the the, the one million dollar factor because yeah, just the car
0: itself really needs to be much better than what it is now. The one thing that could play to their advantage would be if we get rain. That that could be the one thing that levels the playing field a bit for them. Moving on to car number twenty for team eighteen, Scott Pye. Nine starts. And six finishes, best result of second in both 2017 and 2018 with Warren Luff. And James Golding, his co-drives five starts, four finishes, best result of eighth in 2018 with Richard Musket and 2020 with Mark Winterbottom. So we talked before with the other Team 18 car about Mark Winterbottom being on a downward slope with his results throughout the season. Scott Pye's been the opposite. If you look at his results, he started off, uh, not with the in the best form, it has to be said. He was sort of finishing outside the top 10. But uh, as the season's gone on, his results have picked up and he had some really good performances at Sydney Motorsport Park, including a couple of top six finishes in the most recent races. The thing about Scott Pye, Shane, is that he never seems to qualify all that well, but his race pace seems to be really, really good. And at Bathurst, of course, qualifying isn't as much of a factor as it is in you know, all of the other championship rounds. He was sixth with Dana Fiori last year. Can they match or better that result this year, do you think? Absolutely. I think they can. Um, we mentioned before, I think with Todd Hazelwood, it was a similar issue,
1: um, not getting the qualifying sorted out and then having to chase it back in the race. And the 1000 being a situation where you can afford to qualify. Well down, but work your way up throughout the day. So Pye can do the same thing. Um, it's going to be interesting how he how he goes with with Golding this year compared to Fiore. um but Golding raced really well with Winterbom last year and was was really good and was one of the top co-drivers um, last year as well. So, I actually rate this combination as one of the most underrated in the in the field. Um, I think I think these two can work really really well together. I do have question marks uh, over the qualifying pace, but at the one thousand doesn't really matter too much compared to other tracks. I have them just outside the top ten, um, just purely in terms of when it comes to rating combinations and where other teams can fit. I just have them outside the top ten, but if if reliability is high in other teams and um, the, the the same situation can happen um, as it did last year for this combination, uh, for this team, I should say. Um, top six can certainly be achieved. I just have them outside the top 10 and
0: and between 11 and 15 just to be on the safe side. Yeah, I don't quite agree with you on that because if you've put them outside the top 10, that means you're putting them below Winterbottom and Caruso in the other team, 18 car, I'd swap them around. I actually rate Pi and Golding a bit higher than Winterbottom and Caruso just based on their their recent form and in particular Pi's race pace. Fair
1: enough, warranted. We'll, we'll see what happens at the end of the race. But, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I think with Winterbottom and his form earlier this year at the Bathurst 500, I think that just puts them a little bit ahead of Pye and, and Golding. And I think if Winterbottom can find that form, that will, beat what, what Pike can bring to the table. And I think that's why I put Winterbottom a little bit higher than Pike. But there's almost nothing between the two combinations. So for Team 18, it's going to be fascinating. Again, with a double stack, mm. who gets in front, who plays yep. what with that, that's going to be the fascinating part about the, the two the two combinations, because they're both really strong and they're both probably almost level in terms of in terms of talent and where the car can be. So it's going to be interesting how that day unfolds and whether whether we see one on a mixed strategy
0: and one on a normal strategy, just to make sure that they don't double stack. Moving on to the number 22 team, Sydney Commodore, Gary Jacobson and Dylan O'Keefe sharing this car. Gary Jacobson, four starts, three finishes, best result of eighth in 2017 with Jason Bright and Dylan O'Keefe. Just the one start and the one finish, which was 11th last year with Andre Heimgartner. And I think here, Jonesy, a lot of the comments that we made about the other team, Sydney Carr, apply pretty equally to this one. Gary Jacobson's been doing his best this year. Dylan O'Keefe did a solid job with Heimgartner last year, you know, in the interests of full transparency and disclosure. Dylan O'Keefe is one of our clients at Check and Flag Media. To be honest, I think that if these guys can stay out of trouble, finish the race, Maybe end up in the top fifteen by the end of the day. That would be box ticked. Well, for for Jacobson, all
1: his job at the start of the season to, all, his job at the start of the season, I should say, was to beat his teammate, and he's doing that. He's beating Coulthard in the championship. So, as far as um, Jacobson's concerned, he's ticked all the boxes that he needed to do this year. And at, at Sydney Motorsport, Sydney Motorsport Park in particular, he did really well. He was, he was putting the the, the the team sydney car inside the top 20 um in qualifying and was able to hold some really good positions at times so um jacobson has been doing really really well this year in terms of getting the absolute limit out of that car and or getting everything out of that car i should say so yeah it, it, we we've, we've already talked about team sydney and where they are and and what their expectations are going to be for the for the 1000 I, I put as reliability is a question mark as well. Can this car get to, to 161 laps? I've got them between 21 and 25. I just, as I said, I, I, if they can finish inside the top 15, have a smooth and clean day, then, yeah, that would be a fantastic result for them. But, yeah, I just don't see them finishing, yeah, any higher than, than top 15.
0: And uh, I see them a little bit back in the field. I'd like to see them in the top 15, but I think – what you're saying is correct. It's going to come down to the attrition of others to allow them to move their way up through the field. One of the cars that I do say is being a contender this year is the number 25 Walkinshaw Andrea United Commodore, Chaz Mostert, seven starts, seven finishes, best result of first in 2014 with Paul Morris and Leigh Holdsworth, 17 starts, 10 finishes and a best result of third in 2009 with Michael Caruso. Mostard was on the podium last year with Warren Luff. In fact, Walkinshaw had finished on the podium with a car every year since 2017. So their recent form at the mountain has been pretty good. I do see Mostard and Holdsworth as being contenders for the win, if they can get the car set up right. And Sydney Motorsport Park, looking at Chaz and his form there, There were some races where he qualified well, but the car didn't look after its tyres and he slid backwards. There were other races where he didn't qualify so well, but the tyre life was good and he moved forward. But they didn't quite seem to nail the sweet spot where they got both qualifying and race pace to work at an optimum level to allow Mostert to, to win any of the races at SMP. But he has picked up a couple of victories this year, Chas Mostert at Simmons Plains and at Hidden Valley, And at Mount Panorama earlier in the year, he was very strong finishing on the podium in both races. And then Lake Holdsworth, he was fast on the mountain last year. He's very experienced. He has a point to prove because he would very much like to get himself back onto the main game grid in a full-time role. And so, yes, I do see this car as being a contender for victory. What about you? Well, here's a question for you. Do you reckon the
1: combination on paper – is better than last year's combination of Mossad and Luff.
0: I do just based on the facts that I think Holdsworth is going to be a bit faster than Luff because he's had more recent full-time main game seat time. And I agree,
1: and and that's the thing. This combination on paper looks stronger than last year. So the question mark is going to be: Can the card deliver um, to give them the result? Um, that improves on last year and third. Um, that's my only question mark with it. Um, can Walkinshaw deliver the car that is required for Mossad and Holdsworth to win? Because at the end of the day, these guys are, are looking at nothing below that. They're looking at winning this race um, because Mossad's been been there thereabouts the last couple of years with with Tickford and and obviously last year with Walkinshaw for the first time. And I think they would have been happy with third last year, but the goal heading into 2022 would have been quite simple, win the race at all costs. So can the car deliver that? And and the issue for me is at times they've been fourth best in terms of teams. Tickford's been better than them. DJR's been better than, than them. And then Triple Eight's been better than them. You'd think that if Waters and, Most, uh, Waters and Moffat get their act together, the two Triple Eight's get their act together, and either one or two of the DJR acts get Their act together that puts Mostert and Holdsworth down to sixth already. So obviously reliability and everything else is going to play its part. But if they're not in the game, they can quickly go from being a top two proposition to a a five or a six, fifth or a sixth place proposition. So that's the that's the question: Can the Walkinshaw product deliver them a, a, a situation where they can match it with all the other teams? That are looking likely to to be the main contenders for the one thousand. I have my doubts. I've got them in the top five, but I don't have them on the podium. So um, I just feel that. I think you mentioned they've been on the podium every year since twenty seventeen. So I've gone against that. Um, I think they will fall short this year. But um, yeah, the combination's better than last year. Everything's good for them to 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 go better. I just have my question marks about the car, and that's why I'm a bit reserved mm. at, about putting them any higher.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of it's going to depend on what sort of package they roll out of the truck with. I think that Adam DeBore is a very good engineer, and he's very good at shooting up a car over a race weekend. can, but just with the level of competition being as high as it is, a lot of it's going to come down to what sort of – package all of the teams wrong out with the opening practice because remember there's actually fewer practice sessions for the main game drivers this year so you've got less time to get the car right before qualifying and especially if we've got changeable weather conditions so for example if it's raining in practice or even in, in qualifying and then you end up with dry weather conditions for the race you may not get a lot of time to assess what the car balance is like once you actually hit the track so Rolling out with the setup that's on the money straight away is going to be really important this year. I, I feel. Hundred um, percent.
1: We well, we saw last year. I think Waters topped the first session uh, at the one thousand. He finished second in the race. So, having a car. I mean, there's probably only one team that doesn't have to have the car in the window in the first practice session, and and we'll get to them a little bit later in Triple Eight. But every other team, you feel that they probably need to put that car in the top five in the first practice session to sit there and go, you know what, we've got a really good contender this weekend. So, yeah, that first practice session is going to be crucial and critical in terms of seeing who
0: who are the combinations that could be really, really strong this year. One combination that has two drivers on board, or one car, I should say, that's got two drivers on board who have won Bathurst before... In fact, there's only three cars in the field that fall into that category where they've got two drivers who are both Bathurst winners. But one of the three cars is car number 26, the Kelly Grove Racing Mustang of David Reynolds and Luke Yulden. David Reynolds, 12 starts with an asterisk because it should have actually been 14 starts, but in 2007 the uh, engine in the car that he was sharing with Cam McConville blew on the warm-up lap, so he didn't get to start. And then the following year, 2008, he also didn't get to start because Paul Radisich crashed one of the HSV dealer team Commodores in practice, so that car was then withdrawn and Rick Kelly moved over to Paul Dumbrell's car, which meant that David Reynolds was left high and dry without a drive. But anyway, that aside, Reynolds has finished 11 races and he won in twenty seventeen with Luke Yulden. Luke Uldon, twenty starts, sixteen finishes, and the win in twenty seventeen with David Reynolds. But they're not going to be repeating their victory this year, I don't feel Shane. Oh, okay. Um, we're writing them off already.
1: Um, we haven't even we haven't even done a lap, but we're writing them off already. Um,
0: well well you would you would agree, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I would. <laughs> when
1: we discussed Heimgartner and Campbell. Um, one of my question marks was team Grove or team Kelly racing and their form. And yeah, I I have the same situation with, with Reynolds and Yulden. um, just where that car is going to be and whether they can find the window for it is going to, is going to be one of the big, big question marks. I think the biggest thing in their favor is going to be the fact that Luke Yildon's had, um, a couple of rounds to, to, to drive the car all to himself mm. at Sydney Motorsport Park because of the, the issue in the situation that Reynolds was, um, was under um, for the last three Sydney Motorsport Park rounds. So for Luke Jordan, he's going to have an advantage over the other drivers because he's going to have plenty of experience in the
0: car um, heading you, into you, the mountains. You could, you could argue, <coughs> Shane, that he's the best prepared out of all of the co-drivers. For that reason. Especially 100%. when you consider the lack of time for a lot of the other co-drivers with other national categories like Carrera Cup and, and Super Two being on hold because of COVID. 100 percent
1: And if it rains, he's done a couple of races in the in the wet at Sydney Mona Sport Park, and some of them were some of the conditions there were terrible. So you're thinking if he can survive that, and at times he excelled in those conditions. If you can replicate that at the one thousand, if we get wet conditions, and let's not forget that the year that the two won it, it was wet. Um, so they and they dominated that that afternoon. So look, they need things to go in their way in their favour to to do really well. Um, I actually don't think it's going to go their way. I've actually got them in the same mould as Heimgartner and Campbell, sixteen to twenty. I know mm. people will probably put them higher, and that's fair enough. Um, but at the end of the day, my big concern is that car and getting that car in the window. And if, if we remember last year when Kelly Racing came up to the mountain with, with the two Mustangs, everyone expected them to do really well because they were Mustangs, but they couldn't find the window at all dr- during the weekend. And um, I think it was Rick Kelly and Dale Wood and Tom Heimgartner and um, Dylan O'Keefe, they'd all struggled throughout the weekend. And I, that concerns me heading into this weekend whether they can find that window. and I don't think they can. And if they can't, then that's where they're going to finish. They're going to finish between 16 and 20.
0: Yeah, I might have them a fraction high, maybe say 12th to to 16th, purely based on the fact that it is such a long race and they are two very experienced drivers. But I agree with you in terms of the the car pace and, and the fact that it might just not quite be there for them. Another team that probably has slightly questionable car paces, Matt Stone Racing, and we'll get onto them now, starting with the number 34 car, where we've got the brothers teaming up, Jake and Kurt Kosteki. Jake Kosteki has two Bathurst starts, Kurt Kosteki has one Bathurst start, and neither of them have finished Bathurst yet. Can they get to the chequered flag this year, Shane? I hope so. I mean, at the end of the day, we don't want any driver or combination to retire. I mean, you
1: want. I mean, this sounds like um, one of those um, situations where we're all we're all hoping that everything happens in, in a nice way. But you genuinely want
0: teams to finish the race. You don't yeah. want them to not finish the race. So it's great, yeah. and we we want as many cars as possible at the end fighting it out for victory. Well, if if
1: it's a twenty-five car shootout. Um, in the final 15 laps because everyone's in the lead lap that's fantastic that's what we want Um, that way everyone can dice and well there might be retirements after that but at least at least a situation where everyone's in it to win it uh, with 15 laps to go but we all know that the the reality of that just doesn't happen and um, yeah teams run into issues throughout the day whether that's through driver fault car fault or whatever um, whatever gets thrown at them so in relation to the Kostecki brothers, yeah, uh, sorry, it's brothers or cousins? Brothers. Yes. Brody. Brothers. Brody is the. Cousin. a cousin to both of them. Yeah. yeah. I, look, yeah. It's, it's it's an ice cream headache sometimes. Um, try to remember who's brothers and whose cousins in, in relation to the Kostecki's. It's quite extraordinary that we have three Kosteckis on the on the grid. Um, it's gonna be interesting. Um, obviously both of them have never never finished the one thousand, but. Jake and um, and we'll get to um Zane Goddard in in a second. But Jake and uh, uh, Kostecki and Goddard have both found form uh, at Sydney Motorsport Park with with the Mastone Racing cars. They've been able to punch out some really good results. Um, I think Zane had uh, maybe one or two top ten finishes, and Jake was there thereabouts in the top fifteen as well. So if they can find that at Bathurst, then absolutely a result could go their way. And um. The thing with both the combinations is they've got the youth on their side, and they've got the 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 no fear. They they will throw the car uh, around the circuit, and they're not afraid to do so to try and find the pace. So, um, if there is if there is ways to try and find the speed, the boys will try and get the speed out of it. So, um, just I, I just don't see them getting higher than top fifteen. Um, the, the biggest issue is just getting that pace right and hopefully for them they can but um, I just don't think that, that, that they're going to find the window and for me I've got them outside of the top 20 I've gone between 21 and 25 but um, I think the fact is that they just probably want to stay on the lead lap stay out of trouble keep their noses clean and hope that a top 15 result can come
0: their way if they do that I think they're going to be pretty happy with with their, their 1000. Well I think those same comments probably apply Fairly equally to the number 35 car with Zane Goddard and Jaden O'Jader. Zane Goddard one start and didn't finish Jaden O'Jader. Also, the one start, which was last year in the Gary Rogers Motorsport wildcard, which was 19th with Tyler Everingham. And Zane Goddard's had a few impressive performances this year. I think back to Townsville, where he qualified in the top 10 shootout. So the thing about Matt Stone Racing is they are a team that do spring a, a good surprise result from time to time where they get the setup right and the driver's able to extract the most from the car. And Zane Goddard's done a good job this year. I, I do actually rate Zane Goddard as a very talented driver, and it's a shame that he's not been able to find himself a full-time main-game driver for next year. But out of the two cars, I actually see the Goddard and Ojeda car as potentially being the one that's best placed to, to spring a surprise result maybe pop up somewhere a bit higher than what we're expecting? I actually think it's the opposite. Oh, um, you reckon it's well, the Kosteckis? Okay. I think
1: it's, I think it's the Kosteckis if they're going to spring a result. I, I just worry about Jay Ojeda and and, um, and his experience of Bathurst at the moment, um, particularly last year I think he had a couple of incidents of the mountain and that sort of um, obviously a year is a long time between drinks and he's doing really well on the Super 2. But just how he handles Bathurst the second time around and whether he can, I guess, avoid those mistakes is is one of my question marks in relation to that combination. Um, But, yeah, I think both combinations could pull a result on their day. I think they could really do well. Um, And at the end of the day, if if you can keep your nose clean and, and things happen around you and you can stay on the lead lap, there are top 10 finishes, top 15 finishes on offer if, if you can um, keep yourself out of trouble. So there's no there's no doubt that if both combinations do that, keep out of trouble and there's action around them, top 15 results could certainly be the case. Um, but to your point about Zane Goddard, he's actually higher in the championship than Jake Kosecki, and Jake's going to Tickford next year. So... Zane's had a really good year. It is a bit of a shame that he hasn't got a, a drive for 2021. He may, Sorry, 2022. He may get one. Um, there's still some question marks over different different scenarios for, for next year, but it, it seems likely that he's going to be missing. So hopefully um, for him, um, he can do a really good performance at this 1,000, put himself in the shop window for a co-driver spot next year, and who knows if he performs really, really well, um, gets the car into the top 15, Really impresses some of the other teams down the down the paddock. There could be a few calls um, coming his way, and he could be in a in a seat, it uh, could be in a prime seat for next year to to really have a good result.
0: So uh, it's a big weekend for him. Where did you have Goddard and Ojader in terms of a predicted result? same. twenty one to twenty five. I actually have them
1: almost identical uh, twenty two and twenty three. so yeah, um look, they'll probably improve on that because of DNfs and everything else in between. but in terms of just ranking
0: them from head to from one to twenty-five, that's where they are. We've got one wild card in the field this year, and we'll get to that car right now. Car number thirty-nine, the Triple Eight Supercheap Auto sponsored Commodore Russell Ingle, back for his first start since twenty sixteen. It will be his twenty sixth start in the Bathurst one thousand. He's had twenty one finishes. And two wins in 1995 and 1997 with Larry Perkins. Brock Feeney, who has been confirmed as Jamie Wincup's replacement for next year, will be joining the Enforcer in that car. Just the one start for Feeney, teaming up with James Courtney and finishing 10th last year. A lot of hype, a lot of interest, a lot of attention surrounding this car, but uh all of the talk stops once we get to race weekend and race day where do we see this car actually finishing shane oh anywhere i'll be honest anywhere <laughs> <laughs> well let, let's break it down a little bit here okay so russell Ingall, super experienced knows his way around the mountain hasn't had a lot of recent seat time in a supercar though possibly a bit rusty when it comes to racing although At least he's been trying to keep himself race fit with a a bit of driving here and there in other categories. Brock Feeney, inexperienced, but been doing a really good job in Super 2. Obviously, very fast and very talented. And will be the lead driver. I mean, it'll be up to Feeney to to do qualifying and probably the bulk of the driving during the race. So it's a triple a car so for starters the car
1: is going to be quick regardless of whether they're the two drivers are quick so i think we can we can we can put that into into calculations that regardless of how quick brock and and russell is the car should be quick um it's coming from the same same team um same team that that I'm, I'm, well, particularly with the other two combinations that are going to be favorites for this weekend and if, if we look back at history and, and what Triple Eight has done with wildcards before, with the um, Matthias Ekstrom and Andy Prio um, Xbox One car a few years ago, well, they were in contention to win the race because the car was just extraordinarily quick. So if the car's quick, the boys can absolutely be in contention to, to pull off a good result. My query is with the two drivers purely. Um, there's going to be a lot of responsibility on Brock Feeney to deliver as a main driver. Now, last year, when I I looked at the times from last year, so Brock Feeney's quickest time was around a two-minute six um, around the mountain um, in the Courtney Courtney Tickford car. He was a second behind the co-drivers in most of those sessions, so that's already not looking good for him. He's going to have to improve that car. He's going to have to improve his times by almost probably two seconds to get that car inside the top 10 for the shootout. And obviously, maybe another second on top of that to potentially get pole because they were doing 203s last year for, for the top 10 shootout. So that's how big of a gap he's got to cover to get to the top guys in the field. So when you think about that, there's a long way to go for him to be competitive with the top guys. I'm not expecting him to be competitive with the top guys anyway just purely through his experience. This weekend is purely for him to get his ex- experience and to be as good as he can be in preparation for next year. But that's the gap that he needs to get if these two are going to be really good for this weekend. Then you've got in- then you've got Engle. Well Ingle hasn't driven at a 1000 and probably hasn't driven a supercar in anger. Yes he's had test days and everything else, but he really hasn't done it since 2016. Then you look at his results at Bathurst over the last 10 years. You've got DNF, 11th, DNF, 17th, 9th, 8th, 8th, 15th, and 18th, and that goes all the way back to 2008. So his form at Bathurst isn't great to start off with. You've got him not being in the car for a long period of time. With all due respect, his age is also uh, a concern because back 15, 20 years ago, you could have drivers of that age race at the 1,000, Purely because, yes, the fitness levels still need to be high, but you could get away with, as you mentioned before, doing the lunchtime drive and then giving the car back to the main game driver and then away you go. That doesn't happen anymore. You've got to be so fit. You've got to be so prepared. You've got to be so well um, prepared in so many different facets to do your 54 laps. And I just don't know whether he's going to be there or thereabouts. If he can, and if he can do that, I'll be the first to dip my hat and say congratulations and well done because it is a big challenge for him to get from almost nowhere in terms of racing to being back at the 1,000 and competing against some of the top 30 or 40 drivers in the country. Obviously, Ingall was one of them, and he was at, at times the best in the paddock. But to bring back that form, Okay. It's going to be very, very tough. So based on all that, I, I have my doubts about whether this combination can actually finish inside the top 10 just purely for the fact that Brock's got a really big challenge ahead of him and so has Russell Engel. I, I just don't think that those two boys know how big of a challenge is coming their way over the next week and a bit. Um, look, the whole experience is purely for that experience it's to get brock into a situation where he's comfortable ahead of next year but if anyone is sitting there thinking that these guys are going to be at the pointing end at the end of the race i, I have my doubts about that i don't think it's going to happen i've actually got them between 15 uh, between 16 and 20 um if everything goes their way and if the car's quick and they keep themselves out of trouble then the top 10 finish can absolutely be on the cards but i just don't know if the two boys can actually go ahead and do that and that's why I have my concerns about this, this combination.
0: Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of areas of potential concern when you, you look at how they're going to go on the track. But what I will say is one aspect of their pre-event preparation where they get a big tick from me is on the media and PR side of things. Some of the publicity stuff that's been done around the wildcard entry and particularly the behind the scenes features that have been shown as part of the enforcer and the dude show five star rating from me for that. That's been really, really insightful content, really good to watch. Russell Ingalls very good on camera, you know, tells it how it is. Isn't afraid to open up and, and take people behind the scenes and explain what goes on at a, at a test day or, you know, even in things like fitness training. So in terms of the story that they've been able to tell with how they've been preparing for the race, full marks.
1: 100% and we haven't even got to the race yet too and obviously one of their, well, their main sponsors is Super Cheap Auto. Now we all know what happened last year with their final um, race of sponsoring the main event, the Bathurst 1000, that changes hands to Repco this year. We all know how their their pub- publicity marketing campaign was last year. Now they've got a car on the 1000 you can only imagine what they're planning on for the next week so it's going to be interesting to see what plays what plays out in the next few days i mean there there is no doubt that this car will make headlines whether it's for the right or wrong reasons well that's going to be what, what we're all going to see in the next week but it's going to be a car that's certainly going to take a lot of attention and
0: a lot of publicity over the next week all right, 20 cars down, five cars to go. Car number 44, the Tickford Racing Mustang, James Courtney and Thomas Randall. James Courtney, 15 starts, 12 finishes, best result of second in 2007 with David Bernard and Thomas Randall, who will be driving full-time at Tickford next year, two starts at Bathurst, two finishes, and best result of ninth in 2019 with Leigh Holdsworth. I love James off the track. He's one of the great personalities of the sport. On the track though, Bathurst, yeah, the Tickford Mustangs should be there or thereabouts, but I'm not sure if James is going to be quite as quick as particularly the Cameron Waters entry.
1: No, no, I don't think. I think I think between this combination and the LeBrock and best combination, I think they'll probably be fighting for equal footing in terms of position, but I've actually got Courtney and um and Randall a little
0: bit lower than what LeBron best or what I had LeBrocken best at really um, before. Uh, yep. I I'd probably yep. disagree with you on that. I'll probably have them slightly ahead, but anyway. Um,
1: oh. main, the main reason is James Courtney in the mountain. It it either loves him or it doesn't love him. Um, his results over the last few years have been 10th, third, DNF, 19th, 13th, 13th, DNF, and fourth. So he if he does well at the mountain he does really well at the mountain or finishes inside the top ten but then if he doesn't do really well well the results have shown that he doesn't really do really well and there's Dnfs or or positions lower for for him so that's my only concern and um, Randall's form in the last couple of um, rounds in particular as wild cards they haven't been as what they were in the in the first few in the first few rounds so I just I just wonder where Randall is in terms of form. Hopefully he finds his form better at Bathurst and can really use this as a platform to to throw himself into the 2022 uh, full, full-time full campaign. But it just seems that in the last couple of wildcard rounds, whether that's been car-related or driver-related or whatever, because it has been a long time between drinks for him driving in in competitive cars, and that can have an impact. Um, he just hasn't been at the same form as what he was earlier in the year. So I don't have my doubts about... About, about, um, about Randall and how he will go. The other thing as well is Courtney's form at Sydney Motorsport Park taking away his podium wasn't that great either. He really struggled with the car. So you think Tickford will change that at Bathurst? But again, if 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 they sit here on Thursday and Friday and and are not going well and and they're sitting in twentieth, twenty first, and twenty second, and they can't figure out the solution to the issues. Um, and the mentality starts to kick in. Oh, it's been a long year. Um, we didn't do really well in the last four rounds and things start to um, have that sort of impact in the head. You just wonder where they're going to go on the race. So I've actually got them between 16 and 20 just purely for, yeah, there's a few doubts in my mind about how good these guys will go. Obviously, um, James Courtney and, and, and Randall are very, um, talented drivers. So, um, Both of them can easily land the car in the top 10 if the car is good and and there, but I do have my doubts about where they can go in this race.
0: I still put them ahead of LeBrock and Best. I think that Randall's got a bit more experience than Best if you're comparing the two co-drivers, and I think Courtney is at least as good as LeBrock, so I do put them ahead of the LeBrock-Best combination. That's what I would say in regards to that. Fair enough. Car number 88, the 888 motorsport Commodore are arguably the sentimental favourites. And it's interesting that they're in car number 88 rather than car 888. They've broken from tradition in that regard. But Jamie Wincup making his final Bathurst 1000 start as a full-time driver. 19 starts for Wincup, 17 finishes, 4 wins, 2006, 07 and 08 with Craig Lowndes and 2012 with Paul Dumbrell. And Craig Lowndes, 27 starts, 23 finishes, 7 wins. 1996 with Greg Murphy, 06, 07 and 08 with Win Cup, 2010 with Mark Skaife, and then 2015 and 2018 with Stephen Richards. Definitely going to be a lot of attention on this car throughout the weekend. It's going to be a quick car. It's going to be a contender and probably its main opposition, the other 888 car. 100%
1: and it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out during the day as well because we saw a city motorsport park when the two were battling for position uh <laughs> there was there was no <laughs> there was no stone left on the table they they threw everything at each other and i expect bathurst to be the same um it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating um In terms of the – and we'll probably overlap with 97 and 88 in talking about them, but you know the package is going to be good with both cars. It's been like that all year. It's been pretty much the status quo. Both cars have been at the pointy end, and you'd expect nothing different at Bathurst. So it's going to come down to who can nail the strategy throughout the day, who can avoid the double stack, and when it comes to the crunch – can Lowndes and Tander do their jobs to put Van Gisbergen and Winkup in the positions to win the race? So that's going to be the challenge throughout the day. I'm probably going to create a bit of controversy. I'm going with the sentimental scenario. I actually think – and we'll probably get to – we'll probably put our tips later in the in the podcast. But I'm actually going for up and Lowndes to win the race. Um, I'll get to why I don't think Van Gisbergen and Tander will win in just a second. But – I think from I think just purely for the fact that it's sentimental. Um, every three years as well, Lowndes has won in, in previous situations. So in 18, he won with Richards and in 2015, he won with um, Richards as well. So it just has a sense for me that this feels like it's a wink up and Lowndes Race that they're gonna win. I just, I just get that feeling that it's Winkups' last race. Lowndes is chasing an eighth Bathurst one thousand title. Um, Lowndes has won every every three years for the last six years. Just get that sense and feeling. I know, I know. Bathurst sometimes th- throws out the sentimental and 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 will, will dictate who wins and who loses. But I don't know. There's just some sentimental thing for me that points them towards points me towards um wink and lounge uh, winning the race. And if they can get the advantage of the double stack over Van Gisbergen and Tander, well, they're gonna be in a better position to potentially win the race than those two. And that could be a big thing in the in the last 20 in the last 20 laps of the race, where Wink and Lowndes gets out in front. They're in the top two, and because Van Giersbergen and Tanda had double-stacked, their 6th and 7th and have to fight their way back. So, yeah, I'm just going to go with some sentimental scenario here. I don't – it doesn't mean that I don't think Van Giersbergen and Tanda can win – can't win. I think they certainly can, but I don't know. I, I, I just think that there's something sentimental about this year and just the fact that it's not destiny in some respects, but it's just almost meant to be that there, there could be a really good result coming their way for Wink-Up and Lounge.
0: I definitely think they're a chance of winning, provided WinCup doesn't run out of fuel on the last lap. Well, yes. Get a penalty for overtaking the safety car, get a penalty for a dangerous rejoin at the chase. Uh, what else? Have a wheel fall off or crash at the cutting while battling against Brody kosteki.
1: And, and I think this year maybe changes that. This is the last race. This is the last, well, this is the last race as a full time driver. This is the last swan song as such. So I think a lot of those mistakes may be eliminated. There's no doubt when Winkup's on his game and he is fully concentrated on something and he is absolutely on it, he is the best that we've ever seen in relation to that. Um, his seven world, his seven championships prove that. Um, there's something in my mind that thinks that this is one of those races that we'll, we'll see the absolute best of Winkup again. And we saw that at Sydney Motorsport Park, that determination and that grit, that hang on, I'm not done here. I can sense that there's some big opportunities for me in these last three races or last three weekends. I'm gonna go for it. And he's gonna go for it. And when you when you have that with Winker, watch out because yeah, he's he's
0: very tough to beat when that when that happens. If he was prepared to do everything to keep Shane Van Gisbergen behind him for a second-place finish at Sydney Motorsport Park, imagine what it would be like if those two cars are battling for the win at Bathurst. We'll talk about Shane Van Gisbergen and Garth Tander in a minute, but before we do, we have to talk about car number 96, the Brad Jones Racing Machine for Macaulay Jones. Six starts, five finishes, best result of seventh in 2018 with Nick Perkat and his co-driver Chris Pippa. 11 starts, 8 finishes, and a best result of 4th in 2017 with Dale Wood. And McCauley Jones, another driver who has had a really, really tough season this year with seven DNFs, which have consigned him to 23rd in the championship. And the comments that we've made for the other three Brad Jones racing cars probably apply to this one as well in terms of BJR and having technical gremlins on the mountain, hundred percent. And he's actually
1: had the most DNFs uh, this season out of any driver. Um, you mentioned Coulthard with six. Um, yeah, uh, Macaulay Jones has had seven. So you do raise the question: Can the car get to the end of the race and and last one hundred and sixty one laps? The other thing as well is I don't correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I've I do not think Chris Pither has been in a car. At all this year, and the only time we've really seen him in a in a car was at the co-driver session um, at Sydney Motorsport Park. So his time in a car this year has been very limited. So how he goes getting back to the into the swing of things and and finding um, form again um, will be will be one of the things to to look out for over the weekend. I think the the good thing about this combination is mccauley has been able to qualify pretty well this year. He's been able to either be the the second best brad jones racing car or at times even be the best so there's no doubt that if he can find the right form on the friday afternoon he could absolutely put this really close to the top 10 shootout or or there or thereabouts my only concern is can they can they survive 161 laps and can the, the car pace be good enough and that's where i think this team is lacking and i don't see them. I've got them outside the, the top 20. I've got them 21 to 25. Um, but again, it's probably one, another one of those combinations where the, they just need to keep their noses clean. Um, just keep on the lead lap and, and, and make sure that they're there in the last three laps and a top 15
0: result would be really good for them. To answer your question, the only racing Chris Pithers has done this year, he did a round of the toy over 86 series of Bathurst at the start of the year. And then he did the four hour, endurance race at the amrs for the super gt series at sydney motorsport park back in march as well so you're right when you say that he hasn't done a lot of racing recently but a lot of the the other co-drivers are in the same boat i agree with you in, in regards to McCauley jones qualifying but just in terms of the whole package I'm, I'm not quite sure uh what was your predicted finish for them 21 to 25 yeah, I'd agree with you on that. How do you see them comparing to the other BJR cars, in particular the, the Jack Smith machine? Well, I've got
1: um, Smith lower, um, Smith and Wall lower. That's just purely because of the combination. Um, mm. Yeah, I'd agree with I think we and Pith are a better combination than, um, than David Wall and, and Jack Smith. But as a, I think last year, both of them were almost in identical positions. And I don't know if they took each other out or they were involved in an incident that took both of of them out. So that didn't help. (laughs) But um, both of them last year were able to keep out of trouble until that moment. So there's no doubt that if both of them keep out of trouble, then they can do a decent result of maybe a top 15. But getting to that point is, is another question
0: and another story and how that unfolds during the day we'll have to wait and see. All right, last year's winners, number 97, Shane Van Gisbergen, 14 starts, 12 finishes, best result, the win last year with Garth Tander and Garth Tander, 22 starts, 15 finishes, and best result, four wins, 2000 with Jason Barguana, 2009 with Will Davison, 2011 with Nick Perkat, and last year with Shane Van Gisbergen. The last drivers to go back-to-back... For Bathurst victories, were their teammates Craig Lowndes and Jamie Wincup, who, of course, won three in a row from 2006 to 2008. Can SVG and GT take back-to-back victories this year?
1: Well, if you have listened to the previous uh, Aaron a bit over over the podcast, uh, the answer is no from my end uh, because I've already named who I think will be the top three. So. Um, there's there's a couple of issues that I have. The first one is the back-to-back scenario. No no driver and combination have done it since Wink-Up and Lounge. and they did it as the best drivers, as in you could match your main game drivers together. So they were the last ones to do it, but in the era of main driver and co-driver, no team has gone back-to-back, purely because 95% of the time a lot of the teams have changed their drivers from year to year, but uh, the pressure on the team to go back to back is very tough to do. We saw that with David Reynolds and Luke Jordan in 2018. The whole pressure of the weekend and them being the back to back, them being the, the previous winners, had an impact. I don't think that will be the same with Van Gisbergen and, and Tanda. But my other concern is the double stack. I think Triple Eight is going to have the biggest issue out of all the teams with the double stack, because if you look at the two, if you look at the, the, all the teams, in terms of likeness and, and match for match, the AAA guys are pretty on par. So at some point in the day, if one combination is ahead of the other and we have a double stack, that is going to put one combination further down than what they really want to be. So it is going to have an impact, and I've gone with the wink cup side to have less of an impact for them and more of an impact for Van Gisbergen and Tanda. Does this mean that they can't win the race? Absolutely not. They can win the race. Then bookie favourites to win the race. That's my other question. query. A lot of the times when the bookies have a big favourite for the race, um, they don't win. Bathurst is one of those situations where you can be the absolute dead set favourite. You can be very short odds, but we get to the end of the race, you have to have not won the race because that's what Bathurst is all about. Bathurst is you've got to be good from lap 1 to 161. You got to have everything going your way, and that doesn't mean that if you're the bookies' favorite, you can go out and do that anyway. Um, there's there's always situations where um, things can go wrong, and they tend to do go wrong. So to do it once is great, but then to do it back to back and try and do it over another 161 laps and have no mistakes and no issues, well, that's that's the million. That's where I can see a question mark because yeah, you just don't go. 322, 322 laps without issues going wrong. So, yeah, I think I think for me, there's too many factors against them to potentially win it this year. But they they can absolutely go and win it. And I'll probably eat humble pie in, in a week's time uh, when they end up end up winning it and going back to back and and going uh, going and win another race. But I just think. The fact that over the last few years you've seen with Reynolds and and Yildon, you saw it with McLaughlin last last year trying to win it back to back. There is that there is that um, that that challenge and that pressure to do it. So um, be interesting to see how these two handle that. I think they'll do it really well, but
0: I still think they'll fall short. All right, one car left to go, which is the number 99 Erebus Motorsport Commodore of Brodie Kostecki and David Russell. Brodie Kostecki, two starts and one finish. Best result, ninth last year with Anton Di Pasquale. David Russell, 11 starts, seven finishes and a best result of eighth in 2014 with Rick Kelly. And Brodie Kostecki, like his teammate Will Brown, he's had a really good rookie season. He's in the top 10 in the championship. We saw last year when he was with De Pasquale in the Erebus Commodore that even during the co-driver stints he wasn't able to to get his elbows out and uh, he was ultimately part of that big battle with Jamie Wincup which saw Wincup crashing out at the cutting. How do we see this car going? Again looking at the Erebus motorsport form at the moment the cars are pretty fast so no reason that brody and and David can't be right up there with their sister car, the will Brown and Jack Perkins entry? Well,
1: a lot of the issues, um so they finished ninth last year. A lot of the issues that prevented them from going higher or being higher was was engine related. They struggled with mm. with their engine in the last I think thirty or forty laps, and that's what hurt De Squally from getting into position to to challenge for a top five position. But up until that point, they were in contention for a top five, and a lot of that was down to Brody's drive during the first part of the race. There's no doubt that Brody and the mountain, he is quick there. So how that translates into him being the main driver, well, that's going to be one of the the things to look out for over the weekend. I'm I'm really looking forward to this combination. You mentioned that you're looking forward to the Will Brown-Jack Perkins combination. This is probably the combination that I'm really looking forward to just with the fact that what with the fact of what Brody did last year and just how good he was and just how he made sure that it didn't matter who was behind him or who was in front of him he didn't care if they were a seven time champion or a, or a person in their first race he treated them with the same respect in terms of i have no, no respect i'm going to fight for my position and make sure that i i stay where i am so I really like that. I really like it when a driver comes into the category and and takes takes his opportunity with both hands and just says, "No, nah, you're not getting past me. I'm going to fight for every inch that I that I've got on the track and 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 do it fairly. That that's the important part. You got to do it fairly. You can't just do it not fairly and then put everyone into the wall. But Brody didn't do that last year. He he fought a good fight. and Did really well. Um, the other thing about this combination is Dave Russell. I know there's. A lot of people questioning probably why David Russell got an opportunity um, with Erebus. But if you look at his form last year with um, Jacobson in the Team Sydney car, uh, no, it wasn't Team Sydney car, it was um, Matt Stone Racing car, sorry. Um, A lot of the reasons for their success before they had their engine issues that that cost them a a chance of finishing the race, a lot of it was down to David Russell. His co driving last year was among the best given the equipment that he had, and that's what warranted. Erebus to give him an opportunity this year. So if he brings that form to the table this weekend um, at the 1000 and gives Brody exactly what he needs as a co-driver, I can see this combination doing really well. I've got them in the top 10. I've got them six to 10. I I think both Erebus cars are are good enough to be top 10 on their day. And I think both of them can finish in the top 10. Again, you're going to have the issue with double stacking if if that's the case, because Will Brown and, and Jack Perkins will be there or thereabouts as well, but I think Brody's good enough, um, particularly with twenty laps to go. If he's got the car uh, um, car with him, um, he could he could do some he could do some stuff over over that last
0: twenty laps, and it's going to be exciting to see him on a charge if he's got the opportunity to do so. I rate this combination just slightly below, and I'm only talking very, very slightly here, below the Will Brown and Jack Perkins entry, and it's more to do with the co-drivers. I hear what you're saying about David Russell, and he's very underrated, and he was super impressive last year, but I think Jack Perkins is just a fraction better. I think that Brown and Kosteki are, are fairly evenly matched. Brown's been the one grabbing a lot of the spotlight recently. But around Bathurst, we know that Kostecki is going to be very good. So I'm with you. I think that uh, they're every chance of finishing well inside the top 10 as well. So it's been a marathon analysis of every car in the field. We've got to the end. So now it's time to get down to the business end of the podcast, Jonesy, and put in our predictions. So top three, who do you think?
1: Okay, so I've got Cameron Waters and James Moffat in third. Uh, for them to get on the podium, I've gone for Anton Di Pasquale and Tony Dalberto to finish second, and
0: I've gone for Jamie Winkup and Craig Lowndes to win the race. So my top three predictions, I've gone Chaz Mostert and Lee Holdsworth third, Anton Di Pasquale and Tony Dalberto in second, and Shane Van Gisbergen and Garth Tander to go back-to-back and win the Repco Bathurst 1000 this year. So that's our top three predictions. Dark Horse. Do you have a Dark Horse for us, Shane? Ooh, that's a good question.
1: Um, I think we might be on the same page on this one, but
0: why not? Let's go Will Brown and Jack Perkins. Yeah, <laughs> that's who I was going to say for mine as well. Um, I, I think just for the sake of mixing it up a bit and, and being a bit different, a combination that maybe doesn't get talked about that much during practice or qualifying, but finds itself in contention on race day, I'm going to go for the Scott Pye and James Golding Team 18 car.
1: How about I go with their sister car and go for Mark Winterbottom and uh, Michael
0: Caruso? Yeah, all right, there we go. And that is a wrap for the 2021 edition of the Check and Flag Chat Bathurst 1000 Preview Podcast, telling you everything you need to know about all 25 cars in the field. Whether you are trackside at Mount Panorama, or tuning into the TV coverage on Fox Sports and KO or Channel 7, hope you enjoyed this year's edition of The Great Race. I'm Lockie Mansell, thanks for listening.